Good evening, and welcome to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be recapping a little bit about what happened during the Jets game against the Nashville Predators. Winnipeg actually had a pretty tall task ahead of it. The Preds are a couple of games behind the Jets, and uh, I'd say that they probably present the clear and most present danger for taking the second wild card spot as far as the teams chasing the Jets are concerned. Nashville has two games in hand, which is not great for Winnipeg, but in a game like this, which kind of counts as almost like a four-point game, both teams really needed to, to come out with a victory. The Preds, in some ways, might be in worse straits because they don't really have as much scoring talent to cover all of their issues, and honestly, the Preds do have some serious problems uh, going on underneath the hood. Heinz's reign hasn't really been uh, particularly great. They lost their last game in what was apparently a pretty embarrassing effort, and so they had to come to Winnipeg and, and prove that they could at least be Um, a competent NHL squad. In many respects, both the Jets and the Preds are finding themselves in some similarly disappointing straits, although Winnipeg, especially in the first part of the season, was way worse. I I think the Jets were, I would say, one of the worst teams in the NHL, and Nashville was more just underperforming and, and not particularly amazing to watch. Over the past couple of games, though, we've seen the Jets look more like an NHL team, and tonight I actually thought that their game against Nashville was pretty decent. Maybe it wasn't what everyone would call great, but overall, especially at even strength, I felt like Winnipeg was doing a lot better um, and doing a much better job of, of cutting open the low slot area and creating a lot of dangerous opportunities for scoring. They also forced Nashville to use the point shots and, and deflections a lot more instead of cutting open the slot like the Preds used to do. And uh, Winnipeg's top four defensive unit, I thought, was very competent. Like, Kulikov was solid, Pionk was solid, Morrissey was alright, Niku was pretty decent too. I mean, this was just a really strong performance, generally speaking, even though the shot counter uh, through the first half of the game didn't look so great. I felt like the Jets, early on, had a little bit of trouble handling Nashville's pressure, but for the most part, the Preds really weren't finding all of the most dangerous areas of the ice. It was a a kind of a a scrappy affair as both teams sort of felt each other out, but eventually Winnipeg started to generate a little bit more pressure, and they were were the first ones to score. Mason Appleton kind of had this, a little bit of a, a decent net front drive. I wouldn't say it was the kind of thing that you'd expect to score on, but I think he caught Yusuceros a little bit by surprise. He cut in towards the net and kind of shoveled a pass in, and it was sort of funny because the shot was almost like a backhand that you might imagine was going to get stopped pretty easily, but Saros lost his balance, kind of toppled over himself, and the puck just sort of trickled, I think, over his pad or something. And then this is the sort of greasy thing that the Jets have been able to get away with throughout the season. And, like, it's a decent play by Appleton, and he had a, a good, nice net front power drive, but I also wouldn't say that nine times out of ten that would usually go in against uh, a netminder who isn't struggling. Saros on the year has had a really rough season, but... Against the Jets in the last game, Saros was marvelous and and shut him out. Uh, In this situation, he didn't even get too far into the game before he'd already conceded a a sloppy goal, which was, for Winnipeg, very fortunate because Nashville can be a little bit hard to penetrate. Winnipeg, I thought, for the rest of the period was alright, but they did have a couple of really sloppy moments, and Sabisa and Batetta were unfortunately at the center of the most sloppiest of moments. On one sequence, they both got caught reading a little bit too high, and there was a pass that ended up getting around them, and two Pred skaters came in on a 2-on-0. 
It was only a miraculous Hellebuck save with his blocker that ended up keeping it out. I'm honestly not even sure how Hellebuck saved this because he had to stretch between both posts and basically hold both sides of the posts with his gloves with the one blocker ended up deflecting the puck away and it's just kind of a magical save. For all intents and purposes this is, I mean, a saving grace on what was sure to be a game-tying goal. Unfortunately the the, uh, Savisa potato pairing did strike again later in the period The Jets were starting to feel a little bit of Nashville's pressure as it was building, but the Jets, for the most part, had done a good job exiting their own defensive zone, barring a few extended sequences. On one of the situations where they didn't do so well, there was kind of a a, a miscommunication between Boteto and Hellebuck. Boteto was on the right side and kind of gliding towards the net, and he kept calling for Hellebuck to play the puck, but Connor didn't really see anyone to pass it to. From what I recall, I don't remember there being another outlet other than Boteto, and Boteto really wasn't taking a line towards him where he could cleanly pass it to him and then not have Boteto struggle with pressure from the skater coming from behind. I think Sabisa was much higher, and that pass would have been fairly risky, and we all know that Sabisa doesn't do the best with, with handling the puck in the first place, so I think Hellebuck kind of froze a little too long, and then when he realized that he needed to play the puck and kind of follows uh, Potato's instructions, he then like shovels the pass right into Potato's skates, the puck squirts out into the central slot, the Jets turn it over, Nashville gets a brief cycle going, and then Nick Bonino slaps it in uh, from the left flank. A really unfortunate turn of events because I felt like the Jets had been doing pretty okay for the most part, but these small mental errors and gaffes ended up costing them in a major way. I will say that I was happy that the Jets continued what appears to be a a much more positive trend of playing competent, decent hockey as of late. Like, they still have some serious issues when they make a mistake and they have a, a bit of a brain fart, and a couple of times they got very close to getting burned. They also had a couple of penalty issues in the first period that kinda came close to costing them as well, but overall, I would have to say that given where we were in the first half of the season, I'm pretty okay with this effort. I feel like, as I've said in previous podcasts, So long as the Jets play competitive, fun hockey, that's basically all that I ask for. If they make the playoffs, it's just kind of gravy at this point. But I've I've set my expectations pretty low, and I'm not anticipating that Winnipeg is going to come out looking particularly strong in most games. So if they give me a fun performance and still lose, I'm okay with that. I can live with it. In this game, though, I felt like at some point the Jets might actually grow into it and start to look a little more competitive at times even dominant if their top six could create more scoring opportunities. Surprisingly, their fourth line had a couple of really solid opportunities too, and I feel like Nick Shore was kind of at the center of it. Uh, Well, literally in this case, because he centers that line, but Shore has been a really decent waiver claim. He has this ability to make moderately skilled plays, but he always has a high effort rate, and I think that that really matters when he wants to be persistent and either force a puck recovery, ensure a pass is made to a a flanking winger or a defenseman, or he wants to maintain control of the puck that he already has. He always fights very hard, and unlike a lot of guys who try hard, he actually gets pretty decent results on the plays that he participates in, and he tends to find himself in really good opportunities where either he can take a decent shot or he can set somebody else up. Of the depth forwards Chevy has claimed, I have to say that Shore has been among the most skilled and most reliable that I've seen, and I'm happy that he's joined Winnipeg for as long as he's going to stay here. Winnipeg's first period was pretty solid, but I feel like the Jets really grew into the game in the second period where they kind of controlled play and really gashed open Nashville's defense. Yusuf Saros had to be really sharp throughout the entire period, whether it was at even strength, on the penalty kill, pretty much all situations the Jets were running almost 
the majority of the entire frame. While Nashville was able to hit back on a few notable counters here and there, I felt like the Jets overall really had the run of play to the point where even the fourth line was generating pretty productive offense and uh, some nice slot chances on, on grinding shifts where they were able to maintain zone possession. The Jets don't do this very often to teams where they have all four lines running a bit of a, uh, a bit of a, a nice little transition scheme against opponents. And I felt like, for the most part, I was pretty happy with how the Jets played. There was even a penalty shot for Line, which he ended up backhanding off of Saros. I think he was probably thinking about blasting the shot, but I, I think he might have hesitated when he saw Saros reading it. This season, I think, you know, Line is doing a little bit of overthinking in terms of his reads and his shots. Sometimes I feel like he just needs to grip it and rip it because his release is, is more than enough to overpower almost any goalie in the league. A lot of times he's looking to pass first and get an assist or, or set up his line mates, but sometimes I really think he needs to just be selfish. You know, he's got plenty of shooting lanes and opportunities where he doesn't get the puck in time because the passes to him are a little too slow. So, in my opinion, if he's got control of the puck and he has a clear lane to the net, and he's within a decent distance of, of letting his release take over, he should honestly just let the puck go. I mean, I think that he isn't shooting at the right times anymore. On the power play, he tends to get passes that are way too slow, and the goalie always has time to traverse the crease, make the read, and make the stop. Line has tried to compensate that by hitting the puck even harder and slapping it straight on and hoping that it goes through uh, either the goalie's five-hole or the pads. But it just hasn't been working, and I feel like, you know, you're, you're watching guys like Pionk make these really slow passes that came slower than the Iowa caucus results, and I'm just not a fan of that. When you see what Line does at even strength, where he was picking off passes and, and setting up his line mates for great shots, or even getting into positions where, had the pass been on time, he'd have a clear goal, it's kind of nuts that they can't give him the same level of service and respect on things like the power play. I mean, his line mates should be servicing him and feeding him more than they are, but he's the one doing everything else for the team. At times, Line was the most complete Winnipeg Jets skater tonight, and that's really galling when you consider that guys like Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, and others are supposed to be taking those mantles on. He and Ehlers were setting up everyone else, elevating the play of the game, and just generally dominating proceedings. And it from my perspective, makes it all the more baffling that you have guys in the power play who see line is open and, and know that he has a wonderful shot, and yet their pass takes about two and a half seconds to reach him. It's not literally two and a half seconds, but it's, it's a long enough period where the goalie will always have time to read and react, and there's a good chance that line is not going to be able to hit it hard enough for it to just rip through the goalie anyways. This is one thing where Bufflin was a lot better at doing, which was, was puck distribution from the point. The Jets just don't really have a, a power play quarterback like they used to, and those passes from the you know the the deep point just aren't getting to uh, getting to Line Eight or anyone else quick enough. It's frustrating because Maurice also made this weird decision to only play the first power play unit for almost the entire night. I think Ehlers was the second power play unit's most played forward, and he had like 30 seconds. That top unit, as a as a collective whole on the power play, had almost six minutes of ice time, which is in my humble opinion, quite honestly, inexcusable. It doesn't matter if the first power play unit is getting a lot of great chances, you still have to balance it enough where the second power play unit can at least relieve those guys so that they aren't gassed when it comes to either uh, late in the third period or even overtime. Maurice was running that top power play unit ragged, and it wasn't like they were able to create as much as we were hoping for. Now, I do think that they had a number of great opportunities and deflections and, and some great shots, especially from the point, 
But the problem is, Saros really wasn't giving them a whole lot as far as rebounds and second opportunities were concerned. Just, you know, get get that second unit out there to change up the look and at least spell the other power play unit a little bit of rest. Uh, those guys were getting gassed at points, especially towards the end of the third period where I felt like the Jets started to show a little bit of fatigue. After such a dominant middle frame where the Jets just got a little bit unlucky that they couldn't score, you know, Winnipeg was all right in the third period, but they definitely weren't up to the same standard that they were in the middle frame. And I felt like this power play unit continually going out on top of all of the even strength time for those top six players, it just really wasn't the kind of balance that you need to see. And I also felt like every time Sabisa and Boteta went on in the ice, something stupid and bad kind of happened. Bless those guys, they really do try their hardest, but that defensive pairing has been something of a nightmare for the Jets. And a lot of a lot of Nashville's best chances came off of that pairing's uh, mistakes and, and bad reads. It's frustrating because the Jets, I thought, were pretty good. But in the end, neither team was able to score a regulation goal to seal it, and they went to overtime. And this is where things get even more frustrating for me because Maurice then puts out Shifley, Wheeler, and Morrissey on that first overtime unit. Anyone, and I mean like anyone, who has watched Blake Wheeler in 3-on-3 overtime and even 5v5 even strength can probably tell that Blake is is slowing down a lot. As a skater, he's become one of Winnipeg's slowest skaters, and, and that's, you know, kind of funny because you take a look at Lucas Abisa and Anthony Boteto, those guys might even have a little more mobility than Wheeler does. With Shifley taking some of his defensive shifts off and, and Morrissey not really being as limber as he was in the previous seasons, I just feel like this unit was a recipe for disaster, and when I saw him put those guys out there, I kind of thought to myself, oh, this ain't going to end well. I, I can tell that it's going to be an overtime loss because those three don't really have any chemistry, and they don't work well together, especially in overtime. Almost immediately off the faceoff, I mean, it was a little bit unlucky because, you know, Shifley broke his stick, but Wheeler and Morrissey have to retreat. The Preds gain a lot of zone possession. They create a couple of scoring opportunities, and then the Jets are finally able to start an exit. Morrissey, it's been like a minute or so, and Morrissey starts to rush and then does like a no-look back pass to, I think, Shifley or something behind him. But the pass ends up getting picked off along the walls, and with just like a couple of seconds after the turnover, ends up in the back of the net, and the whole overtime period is totally wasted. Maurice's refusal to put out guys like Kopp and Ehlers in, in overtime, especially Ehlers, guys who can transition the play and have a ton of speed and skill, I just... I really don't understand how you can go about coaching at the NHL level and make that decision time and again. Ehlers was one of Winnipeg's best skaters on the night. He was absolutely flying, and I just can't imagine why you would think, you know, he's not really capable of playing in overtime, especially in the opening shift. Put Cop out there with him, and then have Niku or something on the back end, or even Morrissey if you have to. Just someone with a little more speed and skill and pace and, and maybe a little bit of rest and guys who haven't played as much who are going to be fresher than the top six. I could even have lived with seeing Nick Shore take the draw for that opening face-off in overtime and, and passing it off to someone like, say, I don't know, Nick Ehlers, Patrick Laine, anyone. It's just, Shifley and Wheeler are not as good as they used to be, and Wheeler is, unfortunately, very slow. And it's these sorts of coaching decisions, in com you know, in conjunction with all of the mental gaffes that RD make that cost the Jets points again and again and again. To see them finally playing competent hockey and then the end up throwing away the points on something really stupid just it's the kind of reasoning that I, I feel like the Jets just aren't going to make the playoffs they frankly needed to beat Nashville one way or another and they didn't and that's that's probably going to seal it for them because you know maybe the rest of the season plays out differently and maybe Nashville falls out and the Blackhawks cool off and the Jets somehow hit a hot streak but 
It's coming too late, and the Jets just can't afford to give up any sort of points, especially when Nashville has games in hand. If anything, I think that we know they aren't going to be buyers, at least on the high end. If they can get a defenseman and find somebody who, who they can extend to at least give that top four a little more support, fine, whatever. But as far as any other trade deadline acquisitions are concerned, screw it. I don't want to see anyone else coming here on a rental. This team just isn't good enough right now. With the Jets' OT loss being a bit of a disappointment, I kind of wanted to turn my attention to something else that happened tonight, which was pretty amazing, and that, that's uh, Patrick Laine's idol, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, has now hit 698 career goals. This game was honestly on my TV in the background, so I caught bits and pieces of it, but basically, Washington kind of sucked for most of the game. And it kind of looked exactly like the Jets play against the Kings, only instead of the Jets, it's now the Caps playing LA and getting a little bit owned. I feel like the Kings are actually a lot better than people give them credit for, but make no mistake, that's not a great team. They're definitely in a rebuild mode, and if you look at the Caps roster, you think, yeah, Washington should be able to take care of business on home ice, but they almost didn't. I mean, they were down for most of the game. I think it was uh, getting into the late stages of the third period when they finally got up 2-1. This one courtesy of uh, Ovechkin, of course, and then just a minute later, actually, maybe even less than that, he scores again. And then, you know, L.A. pulls a goalie to try and, and at least claw back into it, and he scores a natural hat trick on the empty net. I, I think it's kind of amazing that Ovechkin can go an entire game without generating a whole lot of offense, and then all of a sudden he can just kind of screw around, flick a switch, and score a hat trick like it's nothing. When I think about the kind of player that Ovechkin has been over the past, I don't know, decade and a half of his career, um, and really even before he was drafted in his early days, he's just a marvel of modern hockey, and I feel like there will never be another player like him. You know, people have likened Line to, to Alexander Ovechkin's game, but Line is a very different kind of player. Ovechkin is almost like the marriage of a power forward with a sniper. He's just a rare, exceptional breed, and his chase to pass Gretzky for the all-time goal leaders list somehow seems more in reach than it's ever been. It's like February, and the dude already has, what, 40 goals in the season? I mean, how many players in the NHL could honestly say that they just do that, and especially over the age of 30. Well, you know, Ovechkin is a truly special, special player, and this, these moments of history that we get to watch, I think you have to really treasure, and it's something that I hope Liney eventually gets to experience, because Patrick has that same ability to, to create something out of nothing. And as Liney's game continues to round out, and he becomes a more complete forward, I really think that he deserves to get more opportunities to score, and for his, his teammates and line mates to really match up to the level of play that he's elevated himself to. Line A tries really hard on all of his shifts, and even though he's still on the slower side and his skating's awkward and sometimes he handles the puck like a grenade, there's so much growth in this game, and he really needs to be rewarded with the goal-scoring talents to, to get back to it. Line A could easily be at like 30 or 35 goals right now if the passing on stuff like the power play or his line mates were capable of finding him more often than they do. It's crazy that like Patrick is maybe one of our most positive two-way forwards when he's supposed to be the guy who's scoring for us on a regular basis, and yet he's not the one who's pulling the trigger as much. And I, I kind of get frustrated because Personally, I'm greedy. I want him to score goals. I'm selfish. I want that for him. He's one of the most fun parts of the Jets to watch when he's slapping one out from like 30 yards, and I want to see more of that. And yet, the Jets just haven't given him enough opportunities to do that. But, you know, all, all is not going to change at this point, and I feel like I just kind of have to accept it. On the other hand, though, his, the growth in his game and the forced adaptations that he's had to add to his, uh, to his repertoire and skill sets, he's really become a truly outstanding forward, and the more he develops his game and improves, 
the more he deserves to get a huge contract from this team. You know, Line A may never touch Ovechkin's goal totals because, you know, Ovechkin got to score in eras of hockey that we just don't have anymore, but Line A may still have freakishly high tallies, and I can't wait to see what the rest of his career holds. If nothing else, though, watching Ovechkin, you know, tick higher and higher and higher to 700-plus goals is going to be something truly special, and I really hope he breaks the goal-scoring record. Thanks everyone for listening tonight. Hope you enjoyed tonight's game against the Preds. Hope to see you tomorrow and have a great one. Go Jets go.